Hello, welcome to the Theology Podcast. It's great to have you here, and we've got a special show for you today. It's a big treat for me because we have a special guest that I've been following for a few years now, and I've had a real interest in getting to know. But I'm going to let him introduce himself in just a moment. I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm a pastor. I serve a church in the Pacific Northwest. I'm at my place in New England today. I kind of go back and forth uh, across the country uh, to each of my homes. But anyway, I'm here today, and it's really kind of fun to be here today because uh, the person we're talking to, uh, I purchased some of his art, and it's actually right around me right now. So, so it wouldn't be the case if I was out west. But Anyway, I've written some books, and one of those books is In the House of Tom Bombadil. Hey, Tom, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Tom Price. I teach systematic theology, uh, ethics, and philosophy, and one of the places is Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and I, too, am in New England, uh, not far from Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. We're we're actually getting together for dinner tonight with our wives. That's right. All right. Glenn. I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a retired history professor, senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, and a ministry associated Reflections Ministries. I am not close to Tom and Chris. I'm about 800 miles away in northern Indiana. <laughs> well, it's great to see you, Glenn. And our guest today is even further away or farther away from us uh, than you are. Jack, please uh, introduce yourself. Um, sure. Uh, my name is Jack Baumgartner, and I'm in Kansas, uh, South Central Kansas, um, and uh, so closer to Indiana, I guess. <laughs> than... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, let me let me just give some folks a little bit of background on you, uh, as far as I know, anyway. Uh, Jack uh, is a farmer. He has a farm there in Kansas, but he's also an accomplished uh, musician, visual artist, furniture maker, woodworker, puppeteer. I mean, the list goes, goes on and on. But Jack, uh, in spite of all of his accomplishments, is a very humble and very uh, self-effacing guy. So kind of getting him to talk about this stuff, I imagine, makes him a little uncomfortable. But he loves the Lord, and we're really glad that he can be with us today to talk about uh, his work. And like, like I said, I've had an interest in Jack for a while. I was actually introduced to his work uh, by Susanna Black, uh, Susanna Black Roberts now. But she, she sent me a note one time and she said, you got to check this guy out, Jack Bumgardner. And so I think she gave me a link to the article on you in right. Image Magazine. Right. Uh, and maybe they did something uh, on your work in Plow. I don't right. remember if they did or not, but... But Susanna was an editor at Plow, and I think she still has some ongoing, uh, you know, connection there. But uh, I, I, you know, was introduced to your stuff by her. And I said, man, this guy is great. I got to check out, you know, whether or not I can actually get a hold of some of his stuff. And sure enough, uh, I've got some of your prints, one of which is right behind me there yeah. around the wall. And we'll, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that one in a, in a few minutes. But anyway, Jack, I thought today we could kind of go through the various media that you are working in, uh, but maybe start off with the farm. Yeah. Uh, so we've got some images that accompany the, the, the show today. And if you're, if you're not, uh, you know, watching on YouTube or on Spotify and just start in your car, listening to the podcast, I encourage you when you get home to look up the show on either Spotify or YouTube because of the images that we're going to be talking about today. But anyway, tell us a little bit about the farm. Um, sure, it's 
it's a pretty small farm, uh, especially by Kansas standards, um, and a little unorthodox, but there's more, you know, more people doing these kinds of things, it seems like now. Um, but yeah, so we have a, just, a we own about 40 acres and then we lease probably another hundred acres. Um, and we raise grass fed lamb and, um, we, and we have a, uh, a, a goat dairy operation where we just hand milk, uh, you know, six to eight goats a year, um, and sell the milk, uh, in Kansas, it's, it's actually legal to sell raw milk. So we sell raw goats milk, which this year, nice. it's been a big, big deal this year. <laughs> We've sold lots and lots of milk this year, which has been kind of interesting, but, um, so, uh, we and we have a lot even we sell eggs we raise chickens and turkeys and some pigs and we have some cows so it's a really it's kind of the uh, uh you know an old more of a traditional maybe homestead type of um yeah uh, yeah it kind of sounds something along the lines of we you know stuff that Joel Salatin talks about are you familiar with Joel Salatin is that I am familiar with with Joel Salatin um yeah he's he's a neat voice um for some of the you know even just the methods that that um you know that I try and use it, you know he's a good voice for for this kind of model of uh you know, I get regenerative ag agriculture is a big word right now. Um, and people like, like Joel and Gabe Brown are, are, are really, you know, powerful voices in that movement. Um, and it's a really significant, you know, people like him who take stewardship really seriously. Um, and, yeah. uh, which is a huge, that's a, we could have a huge conversation about stewardship. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, maybe maybe we'll have you back on the show sometime when we have Joel. Because actually, I'm, we're like one degree separated from Joel. A good friend of Joel is a good friend of mine, a guy named John Moody, uh -huh. and uh, he's in Kentucky. Uh, kind kind of uh, well, we, that's another topic for another uh -huh. day. But, <laughs> but, maybe, but maybe we'd have you come back and talk a little bit about that. But I, I think one of the things that's really cool about the farm is you've got kids, yes. And and your wife and I'm, I imagine everybody's involved in making making the farm go. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, everybody's involved. You know, it's funny we have my wife and I have these conversations. You know, usually at least once a year, and sometimes really big. You know, these evaluative conversations of like, okay, what are we what are we doing here, and is is the direction that we've set off in? Are we is is this, is this good, you know, is, um, and, uh, it, especially in light of raising kids and, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices that we've made to, to have this, the farm, you know, uh, agriculture, especially the way we're doing it is not hugely, um, profitable. And especially in when I'm, you know, when it's not the main I, I kind of have a governor that I've put on it too, because if I get, if I, if I go too far, then all of a sudden I'm not painting and I'm not building, you know, I'm not doing all these right. other things. So I've, I've, I've kind of has have this little bit of a governor built into it. Um, but, uh, yeah. so we have these conversations about, about, you know, that, and I think, you know, one of them is, 
well, you know, we don't go on vacation. We, we're not, we don't, she's a pastor actually in a, uh, hospice chaplain. Um, and so another highly lucrative profession that you can put in there with artists. It's interesting how these, how these highly lucrative professions kind of are drawn to each other. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know we, always, we always laugh because my little sister is a lawyer and her husband is a car salesman. Um, so we have <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So clearly there's a there's a theological and sort of spiritual sort of uh outlook that informs everything and kind of holds it together. Right. Yeah. And you know, we'll we love to get into that too. But the the fact that your kids are working with you, I think, is actually something that a lot of our listeners will really admire and wish could be the case in their own lives. Yes. You know, it's really a throwback to the way households worked in the past mm-hmm. uh, from the start. Yeah. Uh, and here we got you know some pictures of uh, I think it's a couple of your boys, yep. maybe. Yeah, that's my oldest son in the cowboy hat right there. He's um, running a sawmill um, and. One of my younger sons is kind of helping him out, um, and yeah, yeah. It's so how many kids do you have, Jack? I have six kids. Great. Yeah, they you. range from uh, the oldest is sixteen, and the youngest is a year and a half. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's a big deal to me to to have them being a part of what I do, and to be able to be around them in all these capacities, you know. Um, you know, my two, my, my, my oldest son and, you know, then I have a a daughter and then another son and the two older boys, you know, they help me with all the chores in the morning right now. And I, I am often out there thinking how many people I know would give anything to be able to have that kind of time every single day with their kids, you know, where you're working together and, um, being a part of that kind of, uh, you know, cadence, you know, I almost think of it as almost like a ritualistic kind of cadence, you know, where they're, you know, cause you're doing the same thing every day, but if there's an intention behind it, you know, and yeah, for us too, it's that, you know, being a part of stewardship, you know, it's, it's that, that very, that very first kind of like injunction from, from God in the beginning to, to, to take care of right. life, you know, and it's, right. that's, to me, that's yeah. so important. And when you ask me about like the farm, kind of the beginning of the farm in a way is like that, that is probably if I were to kind of like essentialize that I, uh, motivation in a way, it's like how I just, is there something in me that I have have to take care of living things, you know, whether it's sheep nice. or yeah. what, you know, that beyond just, you mean, there's my kids and we always had raised animals and stuff growing up and, um, live, we lived rurally, but my dad was a roofing contractor. Um, and my mom was a English professor and, but we always had, you know, a, um, animals, but there was something in me that was like, there was a separation of, of from like just kind of having animals as pets versus having animals that that are that feed people you know 
right, um, right. Or yeah. that produce fiber or all those different things. So there's something I, that's really meaningful to me about that, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you're talking about the difference between, you know, recreation and productivity, <laughs> uh, you know, and I think that one of the things that uh, we've lost is the fact that um, when we have meaningful work to perform with our kids, it goes a long way toward really uh, strengthening the strengthening the relationship. When it's it's kind of funny when you make the relationship the point, you kind of lose the point. But when you have another point, the relationship has some kind of context. So, for example, all three of the ki- all of my kids are grown. Uh-huh. My oldest son is Caleb, and he works with me every week on this podcast, yeah. and so it gives us some something to work together on. Now, I, I'm curious, just from the standpoint of your daily routine mm-hmm. and where things go. Yes, there's a marvelous book that 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 was published a number of years ago called Daily Rituals, where it analyzed the daily routines of people like Mozart and Sjorn Kierkegaard and so forth, <laughs> sort of breaking up their day. And this is when they did their creative work. This is when they did other things. Right. How do you, what's your typical day look like? Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if you can hear my sons over there in the shop right now, banging and sawing. Uh-huh. <laughs> if it gets too loud, let me <laughs> that's good. I can read, read. No, that's fine. We, we like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's part of the atmosphere of the place. You know, I'm usually there's roosters or something growing in the background too. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah. So that's kind of the big dance of is, you know, getting, you know, the, how getting through the day. And, uh, you know, I, I start, I get up usually around four or four thirty, and I come out here to the, my studio and, usually to get a few hours of, of, of work, you know, um, painting usually. And, and it's also just kind of, it's paint painting is, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I could get off on a rabbit trail. <laughs> with, <laughs> well, we're going to be looking at some of your paintings in a minute, so yeah. we, we can get on that rabbit trail a little later. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I spend some time painting and it's, you know, it's kind of a, like a, uh, you know, a quiet time it is, you know, it's really, it, nobody's up yet. So it's just, it's, a, it's an important, a very important part of my day <laughs> that I'm, that I, so I've been doing that for, for, um, a couple of decades. And then, then I transition into once the sun starts coming up, you know, we transition into doing chores. Um, so depending on the time of year, um, you know, that they can, sometimes they're an hour, sometimes they're two hours, (laughs) you know, sometimes it can fill the whole morning, you know, just depending on what, what's going on seasonally on the farm. Um, but usually there's, you know, a lot of animals to feed. Um, so, um, and then after, after that, then I kind of transition in to, um, uh, um, just working in either in, in my studio again, depending on what the work is. Um, and, and then, or in the, the workshop. Uh, so the good, the kind of the, the middle part of the day is given to that. And then, um, if my wife's home or not, you know, I, I make lunches and take care of kids that we're, we homeschool. So the, the nice thing about the kids now age 
kind of gap is the older ones are really good at taking care of the younger ones. So there's a lot of, yeah, that's great. It's, it's, it works out well. And, and I'm, I'm here. So that sometimes the shop will be full of kids, you know, working and mm -hmm. playing around or sometimes they'll be in, you know, doing their schoolwork. So that, that can ebb and flow. Uh, and, uh, then usually around four in the afternoon, four thirty as I transition into doing the evening chores and, uh, and then we, you know, then kind of depending on the work, sometimes I'll work in the evening out in the shop. Sometimes we'll be in the house. Um, it just, it just kind of depends, but that's, that's kind of the breakup of the day. Yeah. And I imagine that the kids can kind of get access to you as they need throughout the course of even your, your are there ever periods of time where it's like, Hey, I'm really into something right now and I can't be interrupted as or is that just <laughs> unrealistic? It, it's sort of unrealistic. Um, part of the reason I picked Wednesday to talk with Wednesday worked to great to talk to you guys is my three younger kids, um, are that, um, we, when we bought some more land, you know, a few years ago, we built a house for my mom and dad. So they actually live oh, nice. um, on our farm too. So three younger ones on Wednesdays, they get to spend a day with their grandparents. So it's, it's oh, nice. Wednesday is always kind of, of a, a nice day for productivity, you know, cause I don't get <laughs> yeah, nearly yeah. as many yeah. interruptions, you know, but, <laughs> but it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where, you know, you rue it and you, you just delight in it at the same time, you know? So, so I'm always, right, right. always one of those, oh, I'm trying to get something done, but at the time I just, and so I thank God for that because it just, I think they really kind of bring, I would, I would almost call like oh, yeah. an atmosphere of rest, you know, into yeah, daily yeah. life, you know, because they just, yeah. they don't care. <laughs> if I'm getting anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, dad's just Peyton. We can interrupt him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but they, then they come out and have these great commentaries, you know, so too, you know. Oh, yeah. Insights. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's fun. That's fun. Hey, let's ju let's jump into some things here. Sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of themes that I know uh, run through a lot of your work, and mm -hmm. one of them is walking yeah. man. And I think that this connects to a statement or a kind of a motto: "Go on." Yeah. So, can you give us a little bit of background on this? Because I, I I listened to a, a, another interview with you where you were actually talking a little bit about maybe your own development as an artist yeah. and how it relates to this. Uh huh. Yeah, the, there was there's a um, Brigham Young University TV did a uh, has a, a series that they call Artful, which is um, they feature artists with a faith background, and um, so they actually came out this spring and and with a film crew and and um, it was a pretty neat experience actually. It was one of those I didn't know what to expect and. Uh, uh, but they were, but they did a, what blew me away. They, I'm, I'm just amazed at that humbled and honored again, you know, by how they told that particular story of go where go on came from. Um, so, uh, uh, but yeah, that both walking man and go on come from when I was still in school 
in Kansas City. There's an art institute in Kansas City that I went to for um, a few years. Um, I went to a community, local community college, and then transferred there. Um, and uh, yeah, Go On was came at a kind of a crisis of um, my time there, you know, really struggling with, uh, uh, depression and, um, and also, I guess it's a term new to me, but I've heard that now a lot, uh, imposter syndrome, I think it, where it, where Oh, I've heard the term. Sure. Yeah. I don't, you know, like, I don't, I don't belong here, you know, I don't deserve to be here. And (laughs) so, you know, I, I had this, uh, I've always been a sort of an slightly obsessive personality (laughs) or, you know, so I would, you know, I had just had to work harder than anyone, you know, when I was at school and, uh, just because I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. So, um, and anyways, it's a long story, but, there, there just came to a point where, you know, I really was worn out and overwhelmed and had all these kind of, you know, uh, just strong, you know, I would almost call them panic attacks, you know, and these just moments of paralysis where I, I just would kind of, I couldn't move, you know, I couldn't, you know, I had reasoned in my brain in myself into these just being utterly paralyzed and, you know, terrified of, you know, how, moving forward or anyways, it was, you know, so the crisis was came in the middle of the night and I was just laying in my studio space at school, just kind of crying out. And, uh, I didn't know you know, it just, I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. And that, and that was his voice. Just, it was one, it was, uh, as close as I've ever experienced an audible voice of God, um, just saying, go on. And, and I, and I, I always marvel at how much quality was in that voice, you know, in that statement of both a, you know, how it, how much love and encouragement and tenderness there was in it, but there was a lot of force and hmm. there was, it was a serious story too, you know, it wasn't like, uh, right. I mean, I, I felt all of it, you know, <laughs> I felt. All right. Of it. Right. Yeah. It reminds me of that scene in Disney's, uh, you know, animated film Bambi uh-huh. where Bambi's father, who is this magnificent stag, uh-huh. you know, uh, <laughs> and the forest is burning all around them. And Bambi has collapsed, mm-hmm. and his his father just says, "Get up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. get up." Yeah, that's pretty great. Um, so yeah, it's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. It was a lot like that, and and I think what it, a lot of what it what it was in all the years I've had to reflect on that and how it's kind of become just my my motto in a lot of ways it is it's it's really there was no answers or resolution to any of the problems that i was facing you know and and it was and and i've always sort of equated it i think a lot of you know when 
Jesus asked the disciples, uh, you know, are you guys going to leave me too? You know, yeah, and, right, and they right. just are like, where else would we go? <laughs> but we don't know we don't have anywhere else to go at this point so that's what <laughs> um, yeah we're all in we're yeah. all in um, so <laughs> well, no, I, so so but but one of the wonderful things about the images of walking man is how you've blended in certain features uh you know you i i know that you know sometimes walking man has oak leaves for hands uh-huh. or tree roots for for feet yeah uh here we have horns on uh his head and a tree growing out of the back of his boat yeah. <laughs> this, this marvelous stuff going on so can you get into that a little bit because yeah. your your work is suffused with uh symbolism mm-hmm. and uh in 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 a, in, a, in a way that i think is not necessarily uh kind of uh, immediately uh, understandable right. to maybe people who are out of touch with the symbols you're working with. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, kind of basically like to start with walking man in general um, is that I always, when I first started drawing him, uh, you know, years and years ago, and I always, I always thought of him as he obviously looks a lot like me, so there's there's definitely a self-portrait kind of dynamic there but I've always I always really intended this the idea of an everyman character at the mm-hmm. same time you know something that mm-hmm. you know was a vehicle for for you know f- to explore you know all these things I was wrestling with and am wrestling with um as an individual, but also as, you know, maybe an ambassador for, you know, humanity at the same time, um, you know, the every man. And there's some great, you know, I, I, being a student of art history, you know, there's a lot of, in literature too, you know, there's a, a, a long precedent for every man characters. And uh, even my name, I guess, Jack is sort of, goes along with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. You know, all all these stuff. stories out there, you know, and, uh, so, um, but, and so at some point, you know, about 10 years ago, so he was always, you know, a lot of it was just walking and, and, you know, for, there was, he's a, he's the main character in my puppet theater as well. Um, yeah, and so he he's working out my salvation in a way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because art yeah. for me always, you know, in these drawings, it's it always like I have all these questions for God, and so it's like these this big di- these all these dialogues of like, well, what does this mean, or why why am I feeling mm-hmm. this way, or what's or what's the story or like, I feel really good when I'm in this context. So I'm going to draw walk, walking man in this context. Cause you know, or <laughs> I only, you know, prayer became like walking became this sacred time. You know, I used to, I lived as a hermit in the, in, in Southeastern Kansas for about four years. Um, oh, wow. and, and hmm. I lived in a little cabin with no electricity or running water. And, uh, so every every afternoon, evening, when when the, towards the end of the day, 
people call it the golden hour, but I've, I've always called it the golden corridor. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I would always start, I would, you know, I would walk, sometimes I would walk all day long. There were the, the land where I lived bordered on, there was nobody out there. It was just all these big ranches that, you know, and then there was some public ground. So it was, I could walk for, you know, miles and miles without seeing anybody. Um, yeah, I've been to Kansas. I know exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I would walk this time of day and it was just, and it became like, uh, I could, I sort of made an agreement. It was, or I came to an understanding that I could just, I could trust the thoughts that he gave me when I was walking, when I was walking, you know, it was, it was one of those, I don't know how to explain it very well, but it was, it just became, uh, you know, when you're, sometimes it's hard to sort out those voices as well, is this just me? And, or is it yeah, yeah. from, where's, well, the, yeah, there, there's, uh, a, you know, there's a, there's a saying in the history of philosophy and I can't recall it's Latin, uh, but the, uh, basically to be solved by walking. Right. So there's this kind of peripatetic character yeah. to many of the philosophers, uh, you know, everybody yeah. from obviously Aristotle uh, yeah. to yeah. Uh, Immanuel Kant, you know, guys just yeah. walking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's also um, Malcolm Geit, who is a theologian and poet and musician, um, does most of his prayer walking. Okay. He says he, he, takes, he takes three walks a day. Uh-huh. And that's when he's that's when he gets his inspiration for his poetry and and uh, a lot of other things, as well as his, uh, his like I said, his prayer life, his connection to God. Yeah. So. yeah. Malcolm, how do you say his? How do you spell his last name? It's G U I T E. Okay. Yeah, I think you really like him. If you if you're into Coleridge, uh, you know, the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and all that kind of stuff, he wrote a marvelous treatment of of that that poem that epic poem uh and at the same time use it to analyze coleridge's life all right so Geit is a really interesting guy i think you'd really get into him yeah i will i'm definitely going to look into him um it's uh it was uh i wanted to also note that um when you talked about kind of being a hermit for a while i i you know something i know is just studying the history of of theology is that there, there is a whole tradition of monastic tradition, but a, a lot of the kind of life of, of prayer and creativity um, were found as people devoted themselves to that kind of intimate uh, communal life where they're learning to discern um, through, through their walk with, with God um, those aspects that, that um, I think heighten those aspects of their creativity and their intellect to to, to think clearly and see clearly. And, and I think there is, has always been a kind of spiritual connection with the arts in that way, it, it, you know, traditionally. And sometimes I think that's been eclipsed in, in our, you know, contemporary world in many cases. So I was just kind of curious how you, you found that kind of walking and that communing, um, in, you know, inspirational to, yeah. to the creative process. And, and if you get away from it, do you see a loss? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, it's, it's so, I, I mean, there's so many things that as far as like the creative process, that was, yeah, that was that time reflecting on that time. And, um, you know, where I had, 
a, a certain degree of, of freedom and space to just really walk and, and, uh, and it was, you know, it's, it's sort of been replaced by other things now, I would say almost just some of the agricultural yeah, sure. endeavors, you know, and even labor right. itself, you know, you, you, you bring up the monastics and that's another big influence on how I yeah. kind of view uh, work in general, you know, especially like some of the Trappist ideas of work is prayer, you know, right. um, and brother Lawrence right. is another very significant oh, yeah. um, influence on me and how I think about work and prayer and the presence of God and uh, all that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's interesting in terms of like creativity, um, sometimes I think it's a, you know, I think of, I, you know, when I, when I study the like contemplatives, I'm never able to kind of engage even like ritual, you know, I was, there's always these disconnects where for me, where I, I have such a deep regard and appreciation, but I can never access it in the same way that, that I've, that I, that it's kind of being um, narrated or written out, and um, with maybe Brother Lawrence would be the closest exception, you know. But um, I I think especially con- contemplative, where I've, I've recognized that well, like walking was a way, a form of contemplation, um, and 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 so, but labor itself has become such a yeah. For you know, it takes fills that meditative space. This is a good segue to actually get into your work a little bit. So we're going to kind of walk through some things. We're going to look at your prints first, then we're going to get to your paintings. And I want to make sure that we uh, uh, move on also to your woodworking and furniture yeah. before we're done. But sure. why don't we why don't we talk about the the, the printmaking process? Uh, you know, it might be good to get this uh, print that's right behind me up on screen here. Uh, it's, uh, you know, entitled, um, the spiritual mechanics of labor and rest. Uh-huh. And that, that title, uh, fascinated me, but also the contents of the, mm-hmm. of the image are also uh, worth thinking about. There's a lot of detail, uh, in the print, you know, you, when, before we actually, you know, started recording, you described a little bit of the, the, the process yeah. in terms of how these prints are made. Yeah. And can you just do a little bit of background on that for us? Yeah. Um, the, uh, like, well, for the, the one in question is, you know, it starts out as a drawing essentially. Um, and, and then, um, well, I've got a block right in front of me here, actually, um, a piece of linoleum that I've, I've laminated to okay. half inch, uh, uh, birch plywood. So it's nice and stable. Um, so I'm actually drawing out, uh, working on a block right now. So just, I transfer the drawing onto the block. Sometimes, sometimes I'll just redraw it. Other times I'll, uh, you know, if I have a really good drawing that I want, that I like, that I want to work with, I'll, I'll scan that drawing and then print scale it up and print it out on multiple sheets of paper and then use carbon paper even to transfer it onto the block. Yeah. Being careful to reverse it too. Um, cause everything's like lettering and everything is, you know, uh, a mirror image. 
uh, and so I've, I've learned to be really, I use, try and use, I use a lot of text in my prints often and, and, uh, yeah. I've often got letters backwards in spite of <laughs> checking multiple times. <laughs> I was kind of like, how did I miss that? Uh, <laughs> you know, then, uh, the, but yeah, so then it's just a long process of carving. Uh, here's some, some of the tools that I use actually, um, just a bunch of, these are Japanese tools. So they're, they're just, the handles are, are really, they're just kind of an oval shape, but they're really, for the way I work there, I like these quite a bit. You can hold them almost like a pencil. Um, mm -hmm. And um, the main ones I use are a small little knife. Uh, it's like uh, called a skew. So it's just like a flat ch chisel at a, at a, the, but at an angle instead of straight across. And then a, a small V gouge. Um, and, and then, so I just, the, the knife, I, you can, the knife is really kind of the key to the detail work. Um, yeah. it, it's sort of like a scalpel. And so I can draw with, with it and just re, and get in there and, um, the release the shapes and stuff like that when I, I used to just work with a V gouge and when I started using a knife, the, the amount of detail that was readable, <laughs> you know, I'd try and put detail and then maybe like 75% would be readable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, right. uh, so it was really, it was kind of fun to, to act, to start using that knife and realize how much more was possible. Um, yeah. Uh, what, so what, what, what drew you to printmaking? I mean, it, you know, when there's drawing yeah. and there's printmaking, uh, -huh. uh, what was the, what was sort of the thing that transit, you know, created the transition for you? Uh, was it always something you wanted to do? I, you know, it, it, I, I started doing it. Oh, I think I did a few when I was in high school. Uh, there's actually a, a when, I, where I, when I went to high school, there was a kid that transferred from, from, I think he came from Tulsa, Oklahoma or something like that. And he was doing all these block prints when he came and nobody in my class was doing block prints and they were great. You know, they were these really such a strong, neat, really strong images. You know, that black and white is a really powerful force, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. just reads differently than, you know, a spindly kind of line drawing, which is my drawings are always, he's got a really, <laughs> spidery affairs, but, um, the, uh, so I was fascinating then and, and then throughout, you know, my education and learning more about the tradition of block printing it there, there's a, such a rich tradition and, uh, yeah. and so many amazing things out there. And I love how, you know, especially like medieval block prints, and they have these great yeah, ways of yeah. like, there's all these great prints of say, uh, John the Baptist baptizing Christ and the water is just, it's all the, it's very stylized. There's no, there's no effort at yeah. trying to make something. <laughs> and it, but it ends up right. being these, these, there's, there's so much rhythm and movement. Um, mm -hmm. and I think too, you know, one of the things I love about printmaking, um, is, I think there's some, there's just something fascinating to me about making a line indirectly, 
you know? Yeah. It's like you're, you're going to all this effort to carve all this stuff away just to make a line, you know? <laughs> and that line is so different than if you were to just draw it with a pen. It's right. because right. there's right. all this energy concentrated around it. And, yeah. and I can, you can feel that. And I, I like copper engraving. I don't think I sent you any copper engravings, but there copper engraving where you're actually, you know, carving a, a, a line in a copper plate. And then instead of, you know, a relief print where everything you carve away is white and everything that's left is black and a copper engraving, you're actually carving. It's the opposite. So you carve into the plate and you put the ink on and you wipe all the ink away except for what's in the lines and then you press the paper into that and and the line quality of a copper engraving is just to me is like there's nothing else i've ever seen like that especially in the hands of somebody who is really good at it um and durer is you know albrecht durer is yeah kind of the master and uh Right. But there's, you know, I, I'm when I lived in Denver, when my wife was in seminary, there was a I needed I did some copper engravings when I was up there and I, I didn't have a press at the time. And uh, so I found a an open press in town that a guy ran. And so and he taught me a lot of okay. techniques and stuff for printing. But he he what did he he made? You know, it was one of those, I showed up with these plates that I'd engraved and he's like, oh, you're one of those guys, you know, <laughs> and he said, I have to show you these guys. I have to show you some copper engravings by this, this, and I, he was, a, I think he was, um, a central American printmaker, but he lived in Denver and I can't remember his name, which I deeply regret because the prints that he showed me, he, they were all these engravings of gourds that this guy had done and I've never seen so much the line quality, you know, cause it, the line could be so descriptive, uh, and, you know, where it goes from thick to thin and it can just build this, these beautiful forms. I've never seen anything like this guy's engravings. Like I, I just think he even surpassed Durer in my opinion <laughs> and I don't even know his name. Well, let's <laughs> Well, let, let's dip into this a little bit because this is this is intriguing to me and for a range of reasons. One is there's a lot of uh, physical uh, strength, I, I imagine, that's required in order to actually do the engraving work, mm-hmm. the cutting away. And then there's the endurance. Right. You know, your your hands and your, your forearms must really take, uh, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, stress, you know, when you're, when you're working with, and then there's the quality of the material you're working with. This is one of the things that I think that people who don't work with their hands can't fully appreciate because I, there are lots of people who do work with their hands, but, but maybe who cannot communicate verbally what it, they're really understanding from working with the material, what they're learning, you know, about, really creation itself when they're actually yeah. working with material. If you spend all your, your, if you spend your entire day in a cubicle and just typing, you know, uh, on a computer, uh, you're not actually engaging in, in dimensions of reality that a person like yourself as a farmer and artist are exposed to every day. And I think there's a wisdom that can only be acquired 
through engaging uh, with uh, the physical world and the creative process that you're you're in, you know working in. But do you have any thoughts on any of that stuff? Well, it's it's interesting. Like the material, there's there's an uh, there's an author that I like, uh, William Bryant Logan is his name, and he's an arborist in New York, and he's written a lot of neat books. But I, someday I, he he uses this term, and I don't know where he if he originated it or where he's, where it's coming from. And I don't even, it's fascinating. There's fat. He calls them the resistant materials. And, um, Hmm. and so like this whole idea of like what you're describing, you know, there's the, these resources that we work with, whether it's soil, um, or wood or metal, um, there's there's that resistance that's built in um you know and 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 it's kind of obviously right there's a spectrum to that um which you can really go down you know into nuance you know especially like with metal work for example you know and it's it's fun watching my oldest son is he, he's been doing a lot of uh it's one of the, th- the things that he's really been drawn into is is blacksmithing and um oh nice so he was he had a a big chunk of uh, old bush hog blade that he was annealing you know so he had got it really hot um and you kind of get it hot enough to where it's no you know it loses his magnetic properties and then you put it in some ashes bury it in ashes and then so that insulates it and it allows it to cool down really really slowly um and it just mm-hmm. relaxes all the molecules in that high carbon steel. Um, and, uh, so it's just, it's, I love watching him learn that stuff, you know, and, but I, this idea of the resistant yeah. materials and, uh, is really fascinating to me in this, in the sense of, um, I, what I, you know, I, I lack I'm not a wordsmith, you know, but, uh, when I think about what God set out to do, or when I wonder, you know, that invitation to engage with all this stuff, it's so inner, it seems so significant to me, um, you know, that, that level of cooperation and resistance it's not the same thing. Like you yeah. mentioned people in a cubicle, it's, it's very different from typing on a computer and, and working with something that's meant to interface with you and respond like that, you know, and how I, and I laugh at myself, even like with my, my phone, like how impa- how quickly I can get impatient with, with something <laughs> that, that doesn't. Well, me too. But it's, but I just, I, I catch myself doing, it and I think this is absurd. <laughs> That I, it's a miracle that it's responding to me at all. (laughs) But but then to be able to work with these materials that, and and that my, I don't know. It's a it's almost a mystery to me. I wish I I wish I could talk about it better because it's something that I think about so much and is fascinating to me. well, you know, I, let, let me propose uh, a couple of thoughts. Uh, one is that when you're engaged in the kind of work you're engaged in, Jack, uh, there's a kind of wisdom that's being re- that's being developed uh, that's uh, 
non doesn't have currency. In other words, you can't like just talk about it and somebody right. else gets it. Uh-huh. If, yeah. if it, you know what I mean? So I, I was talking about this idea with somebody the other day. I was like, okay, I know my wife, uh, but that has no currency. But I can say to a person, my wife loves chocolate. That has currency. Uh-huh. No, they, they can understand that. They can, they can go and buy her some chocolate now. Uh-huh. But in the sense that, you know, the relationship I have with her is something that can't be sort of, uh, transferred it's non-transferable it's just it's just something exists between us Uh Uh, and that's kind of the thing that i think occurs when you're engaged with physical work uh with the with you know the the created order Mm -hmm. god is actually communicating to you through these things Mm -hmm. uh in ways that are non i guess they don't have currency they don't you know they just can't like create abstractions, uh, you know, with words and then just pass them on. <laughs> you just have to do it. Yeah. You're not going to get it unless you actually try to work with that copper plate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is interesting that, that that aspect of it that isn't transferable. That's because, you know, I have that, I have the experience. I can give somebody the, the artwork, but I have that experience of, of, you know, that, that intimacy of working with the materials, wrestling through the concepts, you know, all the self-doubt of whether it's worth it or not, you know, right, um, right. and, and things like that. And, and that is in a way it's, it's not transferable to the, on mass, you know, and maybe that's the beauty of having my kids around in, you know, there's these levels where it is transferable, begins to be transferable in that way, because it's just something that I can only, I can only sort of make it available to them. You know, at least that's my personal kind of belief is that it's an invitation. Um, and there's, you know, what kind of what you described too, I think of as like, I always call it a principle of apprenticeship where there's a level where you can explain things, you know, and say, so when you're doing this, you know, this is, this is what this is going to be like. There's no way you can understand it. And you'll, the only, you're Mm -hmm. only going to understand it 15 years from now. And you'll, you'll remember this conversation when you experience it. So I can kind of prepare you and talk about like these different things, but someday you're going to be doing this work. And all of a sudden this lesson, like that harmony or that, that thing that's like the wisdom, the, the thing that's stored in your hands and not in your head, you know, or the right, thing, right. all these other memories that aren't mental memories, um, right. you know, all of a sudden those things will all respond and then it'll make sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know what, I, I'd like to do at this point, Jack, uh, because, you know, we're, well into the show and there's so much we could be, you know, looking at right now, but I'd like to do is kind of cycle through a few things just kind of, you know, quickly. So now we're looking at your paintings. So I'd like to just kind of flip through those a little bit. And if there's anything in particular you want us to stop and address, uh, like this particular image, is this from a triptych? Uh, is this, cause I know you have panels, you know, the triptych, you know, you've got, you know, generally three panels, uh, carved, you know, framed and kind of hinged together. But you've got Walking Man above and then below. That's the great fish, and that's Jonah, isn't yes, it? Yes, sir. Yeah. 
I, I that just blew me away. That fish. I want you to tell. <laughs> I, to tell you. I just I love that fish. This is just a marvelous image. But anyway, can you talk a little bit about your painting? Yeah. Well, this painting in particular, you know, obviously there's Walking Man. Um, Jonah is probably, in, after Walking Man, he's probably the, the next most sort of repeated um, this character that I, I tend to work with. Um, yeah, that, that's an older painting. I did that one in school, actually, where Jonah's sitting um, overlooking Nineveh after after going through the city. Um, right. and, uh, so, uh, but yeah, that, that one is, I, I have a lot of, th I think about Jonah a lot and I th always kind of think that he gets, it's, it's easy, it's easy to kind of cast aspersions on Jonah for all the things that he maybe did wrong. Um, right. and, but I, I think, he's such a remarkable character. And, and I, I look at how God dealt with him and there seems to be a lot of, it seems to be a pretty close relationship that they have, you know, um, you look at yeah. some of the other yeah. prophets yeah. from that area, you know, you read like in, in Kings and Chronicles and if a prophet did like one thing wrong, they were devoured by lions yeah. or something yeah. like that. I guess Jonah, puts up with Jonah. So, well, let's. I'd like to. I'd like to get into that image though, because yeah. there are a couple of things. One is, you, I, I love your your the vibrancy of your color, mm -hmm. but also uh, the mouth and what appears to be like hair. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> on the yeah. What what was going on with it? Do, do you just kind of proceed by like a feel like? I, I want my tongue on this fish to be like flames of fire. <laughs> Is there, you know what, what's what's going on with some of that? Um, I uh, so you know there's some other paintings I did I've done early, you know a lot of the paintings I've done of Jonah the whale often there's some sort of fire or light coming from the mouth of the whale um, and one of the things that I think I've always really tried to do uh when i think about art yeah that's an old old one <laughs> uh it's probably my one of my favorite Jonah ones i've ever done it's such a funny little painting but um <laughs> but uh when i think about the spirit like i think we we talk about things of the spirit and things that are natural you know this you know charismatic right. talks about the spiritual realm and the, the natural realm or whatever um and there's always this i think there's this part of me that's you know that that divide that's been that came about you know is is really kind of a false divide just i agree you know, so it's like these things are one um yeah and so yeah. Yeah. i've always really struggled and that's some of you talked about some of the symbolism with walking man and the horns and that's a lot of what's going on there too is that you know where is trying to how, how do i how do i how do i make art about this you know because i can i have you know i don't have the same boundary you know i i, I can break boundaries in that way you know because you know there is a boundary there is a the seen and the unseen, 
You know, there's things that we see with our eyes and things that we don't see with our eyes. Um, so I'm really interested in, and, and, but that's, it's, I'm, it's not obviously not the same thing as it's not that everything unseen is spiritual and everything you see is natural. Right. right so, right, um, right, right. But so with the whale there, you know, the, I, I've, there, you know, it's a portal in a way, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. In, in a lot of senses, this that's, you know, on one level, it's a portal to the underworld where he writes that crazy poem, right. you know, about being at the roots right. of the mountain right. and, um, right. you know, and so there, there's this idea of like the, it's in a funny way. It's like Moses being hidden in the rock and the glory of God passing yeah. by him. You know, it's that right. same side type of fire <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're dealing with with the sublime. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, when we think of the whale, it's at one in the same moment, uh, judgment and mercy, right? Um, because it preserves it preserves Jonah's life, uh, but it's also not a very pleasant experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to move on if you don't mind, sure. Jack, because you know this is really rich stuff. But I would like to get into your woodworking too. I mean, you've got some marvelous stuff that you've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this uh, table, uh, wood slab table. Uh, there's uh, in in the course of your furniture making. Then there's this uh, marvelously uh, crafted. Uh, what would you call that? A vase? Yeah, just yeah. I always just call them hollow vessels or something like that. But but yeah, it's sort of. Uh, Did you turn that? Yeah, that's that, turned that, on a lathe and it's hollow, so the the walls are really thin and. Um, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> I, I would say maybe one out of three of those that I try and turn, I break. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. But, I mean, but the, the, you've got a range of things. You've got everything from carved wooden spoons yeah. of different uh, mm-hmm. sizes. And so you, this this marvelous bedroom set, it's, mm-hmm. is that walnut? Yeah, that's walnut. All, lot, all um, That's all native stuff. Uh, you know, all the wood I do a lot of the furniture I do, um, is, um, my best friend does, we, we work together on a lot of that stuff. I do most of the building, um, the, and construction of it, but we mill a lot of the wood together. Um, and so, yeah, I saw the sawmill that you had there right. a little while back. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, over the years we've just, we've worked together for, for so long. And so he, and he, a lot of the design, he, he, so a lot of the genesis of the designs come from him and, and then we work kind of refine them together. And, um, so, so there's a neat, you know, it's kind of fun to be able to build furniture and know, have a real kind of consistent relationship with the materials and know where they came from and know the story behind each sort of tree. Um, so, so did you mill that walnut? walnut? Yes, sir. Yeah, this um, the back piece, sort of the back board of that particular one is the same tree, also of the that headboard of the bed. Um, so they go together, and um, gotcha. That that the the trees came all the wood that for this came from kind of three different places. One came from a river valley um, near the town of Augusta. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the big tree, this walnut tree 
got uprooted and it just kind of sat for a long time being suspended in the air by its roots and by the crown of the tree. And, um, actually the guy, my, the, my son told me a guy was here a little bit ago that that guy actually what, um, and a friend of his salvaged it and, um, brought it to me and asked me if I would mill it for him. And I, I just started looking at it and we, I also have the roots to it. Also the roots are oh, incredible. Wow. Um, so I've got those, yeah. you should see my yard. It's insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. But, uh, well, this is really, and yeah. then, and then I see the butterfly joinery there mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, tended to help to stabilize some things. Yeah. And then you got some great, great dovetailing there. Tails and yeah, this is, this is great stuff, Jack. That's another, that's kind of a harvest table. It looks like. Yeah. Now, this particular cabinet uh, has got a lot of fine work on the surface. Yeah. Um, so you, you've gone from a very kind of rough, natural approach with slabs to something here much more, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, worked and yeah. uh, kind of made uh, civilized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a very, very challenging job. Um, there's actually two cabinets and it was, they're in a bathroom, um, of a Japanese American couple. And, uh, this bathroom is just designed to, you know, every, every aspect of it is just super, uh, considered. And so they wanted these cabinets and, uh, so they're actually, all those designs are, we built, we, we built all of our, did all shops on veneer and made our own plywood to build every to build this with and so i essentially ebonized the walnut where you can utilize a chemical reaction between um iron oxide and the tannins in the walnut and it turns it black on the surface Mm -hmm. and then i just i carved through the surface so all all the carvings are basically the wood underneath is the lighter part that you're right right so it had a really kind of subtle um, uh, neat, it was just a neat effect. It was, um, I would, so the, all the cabinets on all the sides have all those carvings all over them. And, um, so it was a, it was a neat job. Yeah. It's, we're going to kind of wrap things up here, Jack. This has been a marvelous conversation. I've enjoyed it immensely. Is there anything maybe that you sent us in way of an image that we want to maybe end on? Is there something that that you want to talk about? Um, well, let's go back to the spiritual mechanics of labor and rest. Um, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah I'd like to do that. there in your studio. Um, right. And I think, it, you know, if anything, when I made this, it, if there, that kind of piece probably sums up a lot of what we talked about or a lot of, you know, every once in a while I get to these points where I think I need a way to catalog or, I need something to hold all this stuff, you know, and that's kind of my, the name of my website is the school of the transfer of energy. And it was a similar, yeah. it came about as a similar kind of thing of like, what do I, where do I put all this, you know, in terms of a thought form or a, a, a something along those lines. And so I, this is a similar thing where it's like, there's all these thoughts about labor and agriculture and art yeah. and tools and materials and, right. and, frequency and the 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 unity of spiritual and natural 
but these things are all in relationship and all have something to say about God and all have something to say about the, the meaning of my life in a way, you know, and how do I, yeah. how do I, at this stage in my journey, how do I tell, how do I catalog all of that? If that makes sense. Oh, it does. And it's a very, very meaningful piece for me. I collect your work, Arthur Kwan Lee and um, Howard Finster, the Reverend Howard yeah. Finster. I don't know if you're familiar with <laughs> Howard Finster, but he's a favorite of mine. Yeah. But he also is a banjo picker like you are. Um, <laughs> but uh, but those are the three I collect. And this one, uh, you know, there are a number of things that appeal to me about it. But there's the tripart uh, understanding that we see both in Scripture and in uh, classical philosophy Mm-hmm. of the, you know, the head, the heart, and the stomach. And you've got, you know, uh, you know obedience mm-hmm. over the abdomen, yeah. which is where we have a lot of trouble. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that part of our body gives us a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and, then you, mm-hmm. and then you have the, the, the flaming heart, mm-hmm. which uh, obviously the affections, uh, the uh, moral virtues exercise mm-hmm. there. And then the eye uh, that you know, symbolizing insight, uh, you know, where it belongs. And then when you think about it, this is the way the kind of the hierarchy of a human being is supposed to work. A person who is uh, well spiritually uh, is oriented in this way, you know, uh, you know, God's truth, wisdom, uh, uh, directing us. There you see the owl on the shoulder, obviously speaking to, <laughs> to him. Uh, and then you have the heart which, of course, is where a lot of the energy is, you know, drawn from uh, in order to make sure that lower section stays obedient. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you put the if you put the abdomen where the head belongs, you'd say that's not a well-ordered life. That's, uh, that's not a well-ordered person. <laughs> so it's a beautiful image. And there's a lot more going on with that. You know, I love the roots coming out of the foot at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anything else in particular about this image that you want to bring to the attention of viewers? Um, well, you know, that's, gosh, there's so many things I can talk about, you know, a lot of the tools. Um, Mm -hmm. for example, he's holding a shovel. I have a good friend who's a farmer. Um, his family's farmed, uh, been wheat farmers in Kansas for, you know, five generations. And, and he carries a big, he, he's, it's a huge operation. And, um, and he's kind of worked really hard to, to bring, bring it on. You know, we have a funny relationship. I always laugh. Cause I'm just kind of, I consider I'm kind of a podunk farmer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. but he's, he's always, we have these great conversations and he's really always really excited about the things that we're doing and trying and, oh, nice. and, uh, but one time when, when we first bought our, the, the land, when we expanded our farm, about it'd be about seven or eight years ago and he uh he came down and he grabbed a shovel and it was it was like the shovel just turned into something else the minute when he picked it up it just it, it ceased become it ceased to be a normal tool and it just became part of who he was and we went on this walk and and he would we'd dig up some some soil and he'd have it in his hands and he'd talk about everything that he saw there um you know, and the the structure and I mean, all these different dynamics. And so it was such a beautiful thing to see that shovel become to transcend itself, you know, when he picked it up, you know, and so there's, there's a lot of things like that, you know, the ax is always is a a symbol that's always kind of 
in my work a lot and and often that's you know uh, something i we think about of like gathering uh i think the word is tamed where it's like the the priestly kind of gathering of resources to, for the fire okay for, of, in the temple you know and so there's this idea of like okay what does it mean to be the one who stewards the resources that will become part of worship of God's people. Um, and so the axe is kind of a symbol of, of that, you know? Uh, so there, there's a lot of well, this is arts and pieces there. Yeah, this is a rich one. So is this, a, is this print still available for purchase or did you sell it out? No, I still have, they're still, um, they're still available. Yeah. Um, so this is a good segue to talk about how people can purchase your work. Uh, so you've got some websites, uh, -huh. um, there's, there's, uh, is the school, the transfer of energy, is that where they go to buy or is it bomb work? Uh, bomb work where they go shop is, is where you can go to buy prints. Um, there's a link to it from the school of the transfer of energy. Um, and, uh, so that's, and then there, we have a website for the farm as well, called, just called bomb work farm. But uh, yeah, bomb work. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of work. Another another good place to uh, keep up with you is uh, on Instagram. Uh, you know, yeah. we're connected there, and you're yeah. always posting, mm -hmm. you know, great stuff that's yeah. going on, you know, in your life and on the farm. You're you're working right now on an egg tempura that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's maybe we can finish with that. Uh, mm -hmm. and we'll make sure that people in the show notes have a link to your Instagram page and be right. so they can, they can follow that. But that, that's a pretty laborious, uh, piece of work that you're working on, uh, there. And it's, mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to get it. If, if you're going to have prints, I'm definitely going to get it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll make prints of that one for sure. Um, it's, it's a Zachariah, um, kind of the third and fourth chapters of Zachariah where the accuser is, you know, accusing the high priest Joshua before in the council of heaven. And it kind of reminiscent of Joe, the, the opening of Joe. And, uh, yeah. And, and then I love, I loved your, I loved your portrayal of the accuser. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a great, what, what, what kind of bird was that? Did you just make them up or is that a particular yeah, kind, uh, of, kind, a of bird? kind of a hybrid bird, uh, <laughs> okay. but, uh, a la Hieronymus Bosch, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If 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 humans, yeah. If somebody's if somebody's a fan of uh, Hieronymus Bosch, I think that they would find a lot of your work very appealing. Yeah, I love, I love Bosch. <laughs> Bosch is a big influence for sure. <laughs> so, well, that's great. I actually have a friend whose name is uh, Christian Cuthbert. We've had him on the show before, but he's a Jonathan Edwards scholar and kind of connected at Yale. And he saw some of your work, and he said, "You know, Bosch, Bosch. I see Bosch in that guy." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's 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 tremendously gratifying them <laughs> great anyway uh we should wrap up uh we've actually gone a little longer than we normally do but it's been such a great uh time with you jack and uh uh be, after we're done signing off please stick around because i have a couple of questions for you but anyway is there anything you want to say just as we conclude um Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I thank you, you know, for having me on. And uh, it's uh, it's neat to have an opportunity to share, um, you know, about what I'm doing. And um, 
so I'm, I'm certainly grateful for that. And, uh, I think, you know, if, if anything that I, th I think a good friend of mine always talks about, he said, uh, that creativity is one of the highest forms of spiritual warfare that he knows oh, of. Wow. And I was always, I'm really struck by that. And, you know, the, and I think for me, it's a form of worship and a form of prayer, a form of relationship. You know, it's a big, it's a big tent, so to speak. Um, so I, I hope people are encouraged. Um, I know I do a lot of things and it's kind of ridiculous. Um, and I'm <laughs> profoundly blessed by a supportive wife and family and community. Um, lots of patient people and, and a God who provides for me. Uh, to be able to yeah. do these things. So it's not done in a vacuum. Yeah, and that's another theme of your work is provision with the flying fish. We didn't even get into that, but that's another thing. But anyway, we, we do need to end. <laughs> anyway, it's great, it's great to have you on the show, Jack, and maybe we'll have you uh, back maybe in the future at some point to talk about some other things. By the way, if you uh, are wondering where the music is, you know, is from that we've been using in the show today, it's actually Jack. We're taking some of his music and, and using it for our intro and out and our and our out uh, uh, whatever it's called. That's right. But uh, we'll also have links to Jack's work uh, in the show notes. Uh, maybe some articles uh, and so forth that you could uh, you know, take a look at and learn a little more about Jack. But anyway, uh, that's it for now. Uh, we, we appreciate all the folks who support the Theology Podcast on a regular basis on Patreon and in other ways. And so, uh, anyway, we've gone on and on. <laughs> so, uh, thanks again, Jack, and thank you for listening to the Theology Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.